Abounding giving, abounding glory. If we get a hold of those truths, we should be living with abounding faith. That's what we want to look at today. A farmer repeatedly invited a friend into his apple orchard. He had a very high-end apple orchard, and he wanted him to taste the fruit and to make some fresh cider. But every time he offered for his friend to come, the friend said, no, I'd, I'd just rather not. Finally, the farmer, fairly frustrated, said, I guess you're prejudiced against my apples. Well, to tell the truth, his friend said, I've tasted a few of them, and they're really sour. They don't taste good at all. Well, the farmer then asked which apples his friend had eaten. Why, those apples which fell along the road over your fence, he replied. Oh, yes, said the farmer. They are sour. I planted them to fool the boys who lived around here. But if you come into the middle of my orchard, you will find a different taste. And my friends, there's a much different taste between the outside fringes of just living out some of the duties of Bible Christianity to going into the orchard of the presence of God and knowing him. That is the key to really understanding uh, our God and having faith in him and having faith to give. As one writer said, only when we discover the grace of giving do we experience the joy of living. You see, when we truly have a relationship that's intimate with our God, then this whole matter of trusting him with every part of our life and doing what he says is, is something that just comes out of our very heart and joy follows that. But our faith does need to grow, and it will grow as we walk with the Lord. So let's look to Philippians 4. We're going to have our final message on this passage. It has been our theme passage throughout the Stewardship Month. And this passage talks about how God had worked in the heart of the Philippian church. Paul, of course, had started that. He had followed the Macedonian vision, gone into Philippi. There was just no one there. Uh, even There was only a handful of uh, Jewish people, and yet before he left, there was a thriving church. It was just a miracle of God's blessing. Those people were so thrilled, and of course, the Apostle Paul paid dearly as he had to go to prison and had been beaten, and God delivered him with the earthquake, and just tremendous things happened. And so ever after that, the Philippian church never lost its gratitude and understood for the cause of spreading the gospel, and God was using Paul for that in regions beyond, they needed to support him. They helped him in Thessalonica. We hear about uh, potentially other times. And now some years later when he's in the jail there in Rome, he was in real need. God prompted their heart and he gave. Uh, and was willing, uh, they gave, and they were willing to be sacrificial. And he acknowledges that here in this uh, passage uh, that is part of this book that speaks of the mind of God and the attitudes that we should have. And he talks about the fact that it's so important to have contentment, so important to know that God will take care of you, and that it wasn't that they, he was wanting the gift or trying to get anything more. He just thrilled with what God was doing in their lives. And our theme verse was, uh, uh, verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And then in verse 18, the last part, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But today I'd like to look at one of the most familiar verses in all of Scripture that is the conclusion of the body of this 
paragraph here and really uh, of some of the, the whole thoughts of the book of Philippians in verse 20 definitely is. So let's look at these here as look, looking at the matter of seeing our faith becoming abounding. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. First of all, I want us to see that abounding faith springs out of a personal relationship with God. Folks, Christianity, though it is faith is built upon the Word of God and understanding those truths, it's not just a set of doctrines. Those doctrines, if we believe them, will bring us into an opportunity to know our God. And if our faith is going to be increased, it has to come through knowing our God, through an intimate relationship with God. I love that first uh, beginning of verse 19. But my God, now it was everyone else's God too, but you can just sense in the way he said it and the way the Spirit of God allowed him to write it, this was the God that he knew by experience. He knew him. It was his God. He had a personal relationship with that God. That, of course, was his heart cry back just a chapter before. We've quoted this verse a couple times in this series here, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Oh, it's a glorious thing to accept what the Bible says, to take steps to believe the Bible, and because of that, to take time to then allow the Holy Spirit to bring you into intimate communion with your God. C.T. Studd was mightily used of God in China, India, and then his major work in Africa. But the thing that marked C.T. Studd's life was his intimate relationship with God and his absolute surrender to him. That's why God did miraculous things through him. Speaking about C.T. Studd's hours with the Lord these days, the biographer tells of those that were with him and what they said about him. He talked with God and God talked with him and made his word to live to him. He saw Jesus. He saw men and women going to, to in, mil, in their millions to hell. And he always said that that is all the preparation a man needs for preaching the gospel, if it be a dozen times the same day. Don't go into the study to prepare a sermon, he said once. That is all nonsense. Go into your study to go to God and get so fiery that your tongue is like a burning coal and you've got to speak. <laughs> it just flowed out of his life. Every time he spoke, it was charged with the very presence of God. Why? Because he had an intimate relationship with the Lord. Here's this man who was the top athlete in the British Empire and who was one of the most wealthy men in the British Empire. And when God called him to the mission field, he gave up everything. And as he got to know his God... He totally trusted the Lord to meet every need. He did not solicit funds. He walked by faith. 
in China. He followed what Hudson Taylor's rule was there. India was a little different because he was there on, under assignment. But then in Africa, he went places and did things that were absolutely unthinkable from a human standpoint. There was no way he was going to be able to reach into the, uh, the Congo and to go where no man had gone and to see what he had seen. But he had met with his God and his faith was based upon what God had promised and what God had emphasized through those very intimate times with God. Folks, the, one of the great blessings of making choices of faith, such as a faith in the matter of giving, is that you realize that for this to become very real and you can ha to have confidence, the Word of God's become alive and you've got to be in that relationship where you know God is going to meet uh, the, the need. And uh, the Apostle Paul just had that kind of an open, submissive relationship with the Lord. For instance, uh, there in Acts at chapter 18, verse 9, when he was in Corinth, "...then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision." Be not afraid to speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Where do you get that confidence? In a very difficult place to keep going, even, again, even with opposition. God had met with him and told him to stay. And God did a mighty work. I'm telling you folks, when you uh, meet God in the Word of God, and then the Spirit of God makes those things very real as you have spiritually the awareness of His presence based upon His Word, your confidence just grows. You're not the same after you meet the Lord. It makes all the difference. Aren't you different after you met Christ in saving faith? Hasn't it made all the difference? Well, God wants us to continue to walk by faith. And, uh, and I tell you folks, when we are, are not willing to speak for the Lord, we're not willing to give what we ought to give, we are constantly worried about everything, it does speak to a lack of genuine confidence in the Word and in our an, an, an intimate relationship with the Lord. And this is similar to the first point here through an experiential relationship with God. Now, you have to be very careful when you say this. We're not talking about emotional. We're not talking about some kind of a surface human experience. We're talking about spiritually walking with God, having God take truth and impress it upon your heart, having God as you trust Him and walk by faith and you pray, God answers, God gives wisdom, God directs, uh, you see God's intervention in your life, you see the sovereignty and province of God as you are trusting Him, you begin to by experience know that God is working. Often we look at Romans chapter 5 as uh, sanctification begins to be opened up here in the book of Romans, and uh, we're justified by faith, but we also have access to God's grace. Uh, verse uh, 2 of chapter 5, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And when you take steps of faith, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience what? Experience. And experience hope. That's that confident expectation that God's going to work. And then the love of God is, is very, very much aware, made aware, the next verse says, in our life.
Folks, there's nothing greater than having God prove himself to you. We live in an unstable day, but we have an absolutely immutable God. And the more you walk with him, the more you are very sensitive to his spirit, the more you take the steps of faith that you ought to take, God will never, never let you down. And you'll begin to see God intervene. You will see God undertake. You will see God provide. You will see God work. You will see God give you wisdom. You will be amazed at the divine appointments and how God works things together for good. And your confidence just builds and builds and builds and builds. And frankly, you got a whole set of testimonies of experience with God without looking for a big subjective emotional experience. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a track record of seeing God work. And knowing that he is real. Early in his ministry, the great preacher of years past at Moody Church, Harry Ironside, my dad just loved him, written a number of beloved commentaries. Um, He had an experience that illustrated this matter about the provision of God. On one occasion, he had acted on faith, as he often did, to preach for two weeks in Fresno, California. Brother Rambler. And... uh, But the time came, surprisingly to him, when he was entirely out of money and had no funds with which to eat, he was forced to check out of his hotel room, leave a suitcase at the drugstore to be picked up later. Now, he was human like we all are. He began to complain a little bit and was struggling with some bitterness. And then Philippians 4.19 came across his mind, and my God uh, will supply all your needs according to his Riches in Christ Jesus, and his spirit uh, rebelled. Why then doesn't he do it, he questioned. It seemed that God had promised, but God wasn't keeping his word. This is where a lot of Christians get many, many times. Well, that night he settled under a tree on the lawn of the courthouse in Fresno. I don't think you could do that today. But anyway, he did that back then. And God began to deal with H. Ironside about the fact that he was growing careless in his Christian life. He wasn't really walking by faith. He had slipped on some things in his life. And he had a holy meeting with God that night. In his prayer and meditation, he had a great spiritual awakening. From that time on, his faith was strengthened and friends appeared, invited him to lunch, gave him accommodations. Uh, The church gave him enough money to get back on his return journey. And God continued to work. But when he got back home, he went to the post office and found a letter from his father, much to his surprise. He opened it, and there staring him in the face with a postscript that said, God spoke to me through Philippians 4.19 today. (laughs) He has promised to supply all our needs. Someday he may see that I need a starving. (laughs) If he does, he'll supply that. Ironside says, oh, how real it all seemed then. I saw that God had been putting me through the test in order to bring me closer to him and to bring me face to face with the things that I had been neglecting. And uh, he goes on to speak about that. My friends, it's a, God just continually works. And even those testing times where our faith are tested, those are the enriching times in which God makes himself very real. When you go through persecution, when you go through deprivation, when you go through hard things and you're trusting God, as far as you know you're doing what's right, you can be guaranteed that God is taking you on a journey that is going to bring great spiritual maturity. He's going to bring answers to your soul. He is going to bring the power and the fruitfulness that he's promised to those that are abiding in Christ. And life becomes day after day a divine reality. Folks, we ought not just have another day. 
Today is God's day. Tomorrow, Monday, is a divine adventure. And uh, our faith just needs to be continually built as we walk with God. Well, our faith is strengthened by a proper understanding of God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. He knew that these people were walking by faith and he could say with confidence that my God that I know will meet your needs because of your faith in him because of who he is. You know, it's great when you can encourage others because you know it to be true. He understood the fullness of God's provision. God will meet, I want you to get this, he'll meet every need of those who trust him. He'll meet every need of those who trust him. Oh, we know the wonderful verse in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I've told this story before of the two young girls that were talking and one said she had 10 pennies. The other girl looked at her hand and she said, you only, you only have five pennies. Well, the first girl replied, I have five I do have only five, but my father told me he was going to give me five more tonight, so I have ten. <laughs> my heavenly father has promised me all I need, so I have everything. I have all that I need. Folks, God means what he says. Thy word is truth. Every promise that clearly applies to us, we can bank on. And we need to understand the resources of divinity, folks. How we just look at things from such a limited human perspective. God owns everything. I love Psalm 50, verse 10. This was referred to the other night. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. While I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats, offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. My God has it all. What are we thinking? You know, we worry about the economy, and certainly it does affect our lives. We worry about but God owns it all. He owns us. And because of that, his promises are based upon the bank of heaven. He has all the assets needed and the power to deliver those assets. James Montgomery Boyce speaks about uh, he says, years ago, a delightful older French woman told me a story from her own life that uh, illustrates the principle I just mentioned. In her youth in France, she had been taught to make a little box of Bible verses containing a selection of the promises of God from Scripture. Each verse was written on a little small piece of paper about the size of a uh, piece of chewing gum paper, and each one was enrolled up to make a miniature scroll. And there were 40 to 50 of these small scrolls placed in a tiny open box. That was the promise box. And she had been encouraged as a child to pull out one of them uh, each day and read it. Well, that had been put aside. And one day during World War II, when she was much older, understandably, <laughs> she was feeling terribly discouraged by many things that had happened. In her depression, her mind turned to that little box she made as a little girl. And so she... Uh, 
went to the drawer and got out the box and, t- and she prayed, Lord, you know how depressed I am. You know that I need a word of encouragement. Isn't there a promise in here somewhere that can help me? Well, she finished praying, stepped over to the window where uh, there'd be a little more light to better for reading. And as she did, she tripped over the loose end of the rug and all the promises spilled out on the carpet. She immediately got the point and, uh, and prayed again joyfully. Lord, how foolish have I been to ask for one promise when there are so many glorious promises in your word. Folks, we should have such peace if we really would trust the, trust the word. But friends, you see, when you have that intimate walk with the Lord, you really do understand he's got what's needed. He reveals to you in the word that he has created everything. And everything you see he owns, he can arrange anything for your good if you will trust him and do what is right. And if you'll notice, I don't want to diminish this, uh, you find there in verse 19 in glory, by Christ Jesus. This is all because we, uh, of, of what Christ has done. We need to understand the victory of Christ. Uh, Christ included us in his victory. We died with him. We were buried with him. We rose again. We ascended with him. All that he has gained at the right hand of the Father in glory, we are in him. We are co-heirs with him. And not only do we have all the resources of this world, we have all the spiritual blessings that Christ has gained. And we have that relationship of intimacy with him and with the Father and with the Spirit. Folks, we have everything as a believer Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, two chapters earlier in 2 verse 9 of Philippians, and given him a name which is above every name. But I'm afraid we're a lot like Charlie Brown. That's why people liked Peanuts. Pondering his plight in life thought, Yesterday for one brief moment I was happy, but just when I thought I was winning the game of life, there was a flag thrown on the play, and life dealt me a blow. <laughs> and well, I tell you, some people it's just the cloud is over their head. Life is not in charge. God is. We're not victims of circumstances. We're more than conquerors if we love him because he loves us so. And uh, it's wonderful. A a custodian was patiently each week he would uh, wait for a a group of seminarians to finish their basketball game before he cleaned up the gym. And while he waited, he would study his Bible. One day when they were uh, leaving, one of the men asked which book he was uh, studying. And the man answered, the book of Revelation. Well, the ball player was a little surprised. You know, he was a high-level seminarian and asked uh, the custodian uh, if he understood the complicated book. He said, oh, yes, I understand it. It means Jesus is going to (laughs) win. And that's true. By the way, keep that in mind right now. That is really good theology right there. God is going. But he's going to win right now. We have the victory in Christ. Well, let me finish with the third matter here. Our faith becomes abounding when it's sustained by a passion to glorify God. You see, the whole motivation of these people in their giving was they wanted to see the gospel go to the far regions of the world. They had never lost the wonder of it all when they had seen the church in that wicked city of Philippi started by just a couple of men coming in, and God did it. And they knew it could be done. They saw it in the... 
uh, Grecian Peninsula down in Achaia as well up in Macedonia. And they were burdened to see it go beyond. And for, in fact, after this book, Paul was released and we believe he was in Spain and God did a great work there in Spain. And they wanted to be part of that. And so we need to acknowledge as he did and as they did the need to accomplish Christ's purpose. It, let's look ver, again at verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Folks, we all know the right answer about what the end of man is and the purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But do we really mean it? Is our greatest desire of our heart his glory? If it is, then these matters of stewardship are no problem. Because any time we can participate in that which will further his purpose and glorify him, it just brings the greatest joy to our heart because that's, that's our heart. And uh, so we need uh, to acknowledge what God has for us. Philippians 1.20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified, there it is, in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We can't serve two masters, as Matthew 6 says. We're either going to serve God or mammon. Which one are we going to glorify? And we need to desire then to glorify Christ by trusting him. Now, folks, as we get down to this matter of financial stewardship along with our entire life, the one great thing about biblical full tithing and then offerings above that, it causes us to trust him for our entire life. It is a decision in which we die to self and we say, I want to glorify him more than anything. I want to believe him. I am walking with him. I love him and I want a greater relationship. You don't buy it by tithing, but by, by being participant in his purpose for the glory of God to go around the world and you want to do what God has called you to do. And as you then have that heart to know him, that faith begins to build. And in what seemed like such a difficulty in making the first decision, I can tell you right now, I could bring many a believer up here and they would say, tithing is no longer even an issue. I wouldn't dare not tithe. God's been so good to me. And uh, it's just, you know, moving forward in giving because God proves himself to us. It shows forth the fact that we know that he owns this 1 Corinthians 6, 24 year, bought with a price. What a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God is pleased when we give him everything and we simply work off of what he allows us to use our body for and our possessions for, for his glory. Man came to his pastor for counseling and felt convicted. He'd not been faithful in giving God a portion of his generous $1,000 a week. This was some years back, uh, salary he was making. And the man explained, I had no problem thanking God and giving him a liberal offering when I was just making $250 a week. Please pray for me. And the pastor started praying, but much to the man's dismay, he said, Father, please bring this man back to the $250 salary so that he can get back into your will. What is it going to take 
for God to get a hold of our hearts. God doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to bless us. He wants to walk with us. He has given us every spiritual blessing. We are partaking in the Savior's inheritance. We have an eternity that's more glorious than I can even begin to explain. And we are now participating with him in the great, uh, the great calling of reaching this world. And he wants us to be free of that which hold us, holds us in our time, our possessions, uh, those kinds of things, and to just take the steps of faith that we ought to take so that we can just be free to love him and to do everything that God wants us to do. And we'll be able to say, my God shall supply all my needs and all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And you'll be able to say, Lord, you know my heart. Now unto him, uh, that uh, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. A man came rushing up to a ferry years ago, breathless after running at a terrific pace, but he got there just as the gateman closed the door in his face. Uh, bystander remarked, you didn't run fast enough. <laughs> the disappointed man said, I ran fast enough. I didn't start on time. <laughs> now is the accepted time. In fact, that's to believers there in 2 Corinthians. Folks, there's no better time than right now to get on that road of a walk with God, to see your faith become strong, to have that intimate relationship, to see God do miracles and to glorify God. Oh, right now, right now, it's time to start running that race. And I encourage all of us to do it. Let's bow for prayer.